Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. For those of you who've been around City for the past two years, since January, know that we're preaching through one topic all year. It's the kingdom of God. What is it? How do you live in it? And so what I want to do this morning is we take a look at the book of Philippians. We're three weeks into the Philippians series about the kingdom of God. Um, we are going to look at citizenship. But before we do that, I would like for us to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud and then be seated. It's going to be up on the screen. This then is how you should pray out loud. Ready? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. You may be seated. So what we're going to do this morning is we are going to step a little bit more deeply into the book of Philippians. It's a book that the Apostle Paul writes and um, it's one of his only books, the only book where when he writes to this church, there's no criticism, there's no judgment, there's no critique. The church is doing amazingly well. And because of that, the Apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, he just talks about joy, 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 doesn't even use his name as an apostle. He calls himself Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. But because of this unique letter to Philippians, we're not avoiding God's conviction or any of that, but the idea was, what does it look like for the kingdom of God to be lived well, that a church does well? And so we thought, let's look at the, the book of Philippians for four Sundays. This is the third. Next week will be the fourth. So we are in chapter three of the book of Philippians. And so the key text for us for this um, Sunday is found in Philippians chapter three. There's four chapters, third week, third chapter. We're gonna take a look at Philippians chapter three, verses 18 through 20. Here's what the text says, and then I'm gonna talk about it in depth, and then we're going to go to the book of Acts and come back to this text again. So Philippians three eighteen through 20 says this. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction and their God is the stomach. Just so you know, if you ever read the Bible, we have a lot of people that are newer to faith just starting to read the Bible. The stomach in the ancient world was viewed as the seat of your desires. Like, so in other words, their desires are running their lives. Reading on and it says, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things and then here's our key phrase. But our citizenship is in where? In heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, Lord Jesus. So the key phrase that we're gonna look at this morning is this phrase, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. What we're going to discover this morning is that to the church of Philippi, that phrase, your citizenship is in heaven, is unbelievably powerful. I wanna explain why. Many of us don't understand the power of citizenship. We don't understand how powerful it is. 
And inasmuch as it's powerful today, and I'll get to a few examples of that after we read this following story from the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul, citizenship is powerful today. But in the days of Paul, citizenship was everything. What country you were a citizen of was everything. And if you were a citizen of Rome, that was premier. So what I want to do just to help us to understand the power of citizenship and why the Apostle Paul is saying this to the church of Philippi about their citizenship being in heaven, I want to pull an excerpt from the life of Paul that's found in the book of Acts chapter 22. Now before I read from there, there's a couple of things that we need to know. Acts 22 is near the end of the Apostle Paul's life. It's near the end. And um, what he's doing is he's in Jerusalem and he stands up in Jerusalem to talk about Jesus. He's talking about the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus there in Jerusalem among all of his uh, Jewish brothers and sisters. Now, what's interesting to know about the Jews of Jesus' day and the apostles Paul's day is that one of the things that they were totally against were people called Gentiles. Now, there's Jews in their world and then everyone else. So you're either a Jew or you are a a Gentile. The issue is, though, Gentile just doesn't mean non-Jew. It means pagan. It means that you worship other gods and that you do bad stuff and you're not following the the God of Israel and you're to be avoided. Well, what we're going to discover is after the Apostle Paul meets Jesus, he begins to recognize and believe that the kingdom of God is not just for the Jewish people, but the God of the Jews is for everyone. And in Jesus, God is now reaching out to these horrible, awful Gentile pagans. That's what God's doing in his kingdom through Christ. And so the Apostle Paul gets up in Jerusalem and he's explaining who Jesus is to the crowd And we're going to discover, as we read this, that there is this turn of events because at the end of Paul's public sermon in the public square, he mentions that God has commissioned him not just to go to Jews, but to go to Gentiles, those horrible Gentile pagan people. So let's pick up our reading, and this is to understand the power of citizenship in Paul's day. We're going to pick up our reading in Acts chapter 22, verses 21 and following. And here's what it says. The apostle Paul arrested for the gospel of Jesus. Acts 22, 21 through 29. Here's the reading. It says, then the Lord said to me, so Paul's telling this big crowd in Jerusalem. The Lord said to me, go and I will send you far away to the, who? To the Gentiles. Now notice the crowd's response. The crowd listened to Paul until he said that. And when he said that, here's how the the crowd responds. It says, they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. Think about that. I mean, he ends his sermon with, God has a heart for people beyond just Judaism. He has a heart for the pagan, for the Gentile, for the vast majority of us sitting here who have non-Jewish descendancy. God, through Jesus, loves you and pursues you with his kingdom. When Paul says that, they go, this dude is not fit to live. Now, 
Let's read on and pick up verse 23. It says, as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, in other words, they're inciting this riot, the text says the commander ordered that Paul be taken to the barracks. Now, what has happened is the Roman Empire is the oppressive military force over Jerusalem and all of Israel. And if there's anyone that begins to um, incite civil unrest, they're going to move in and arrest people and they're going to squash the riots. So this commander does that. Some soldiers go in, they see a riot is starting, and the commander recognizes that Paul's at the epicenter of it, so he grabs a hold of Paul, he arrests him, and he takes him back to the Roman barracks. So Paul is now in this Roman barracks, surrounded by Roman soldiers. All right, so let's pick up our reading. It says, he directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. In other words, this commander saves Paul from a whooping and then takes him to his barracks and he's gonna give him a whooping to figure out why the other people wanted to give him a whooping. Do you get this? It's a very violent time for the human race. It's unbelievably barbaric and violent. And so the text tells us that they take Paul and um, essentially the commander says, you're gonna flog the guy as we interrogate him. Reading on verse 25, and it says, as they stretched him out to flog him. So in the barracks, they would have had a large wooden stump and they would have lifted up Paul's shirt, they would have tied a rope around his arms, and they would have laid him over this stump, and they're gonna take a whip and begin to flog him. Why? To find out why everyone else wanted to flog him. So just picture the barbarian nature of this. And so what we have is, it says, they're getting ready to flog him, and Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman, what's the next word? Citizen. Is it legal to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Now picture this. Paul's shirt is lifted up. He's stretched over this stump right as they get ready to whip him. And you can almost picture Paul just waiting for the perfect moment. And as they get ready to beat him, he looks over his shoulder and goes, quick question, real quick, is it legal to flog a Roman citizen who has not been found guilty? And what's the response? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? He asked, this man is a Roman citizen. And the commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? You gotta listen to the answer. It's profound. Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. You gotta catch this. Rome is selling citizenships and it's unbelievably expensive. And one of the reasons why this guy's a soldier is because that's probably part of the deal. You pay a ton of money to become a Roman citizen and then you serve Rome how Rome ever wants to make you serve. But notice what happens. The guy says to Paul, hey, I paid for mine. It was really expensive. And what does Paul say? I was born one of those. You're an aftermarket guy. I'm the real guy. I was born into this. And can you feel the power of Roman citizenship? It's unbelievably powerful. 
And it says, those who were about to um, irritate, interrogate him, withdrew immediately. In the Greek, it's as though they throw down their whips and they jump back. Because if they had whipped Paul, they would have been executed on the spot. And then reading it on, it says, the commander himself was alarmed. That's an understatement in English as well. And when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, that he realized he had put Paul in chains. Now, the reason why I'm reading that is because I want us to understand the incredible power of citizenship in Paul's day. Now, for us to understand kind of the sense of this, um, I had a recent experience where citizenship became really real to me. First of all, I was born in Canada, and I immigrated to the U.S. when I was a child, and I ended up becoming a U.S. citizen when I was 13. My dad basically came to me, and he said, look, this will be a good idea. He had become a U.S. citizen. My mother, who was born and raised in Yorkshire, England, was a British citizen. She became a Canadian citizen and never became a U.S. citizen, but lives in the U.S., so my dad comes, he says, look, it'd be a great idea. You need to become a citizen. And so I said to my dad, what does that involve? And he said, well, you get a day off school, I'm in. <laughs> like day off school, I'm in. And then he said, I'll take you wherever you want to eat. And I went to a place called Dog and Suds. And here's a picture of Dog and Suds. It was like amazing. By the way, there were 650 Dog and Suds up in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, the Midwest. Now there's 15. So you know how good the food was. It went from six, but that was my favorite, Dog and Suds. By the way, forgive me for telling you this, but the slang for it was Arfenbarf. Dog and Suds, right? When you're a kid, you want to eat at Arfenbarf. Just saying it is awesome, right? So my dad said, day off school, we'll go to Dog and Suds. I go, I'm in. And when I get there, I had to study, take a little test, and then you're sworn in in front of a judge. It was actually a very meaningful experience. And at the end, I remember what I had to quote, and it was this, and I lay down all other allegiances to any other nation or country, and I commit to bearing arms for the United States of America. It was interesting. Now, my wife and I had saved up a lot of air miles for a long time because our middle daughter was doing a master's in England and we'd been stockpiling air miles for years and we were gonna spend it on something. So my daughter was there in England doing a master's this past year and she finished up in June. So we said, let's go visit her. So we go over to visit my daughter. And while we're there, my daughter's planning a trip around Europe with some of her friends. And they're sitting there talking about it. And one of them is from Namibia. Another one is from uh, South Africa. And there's different countries. And they're sitting there. And Allie goes, I'd like to go to this country. And one of the students goes, I can't go there. My passport won't let me go there. I, I would have needed to get a visa and there's not enough time. Someone else mentions another country they'd like to travel to and someone goes, well, I can't go there because my, and it was interesting, my daughter realized that being a U.S. citizen had opened doors that other people didn't have. And while we were in one of the airports traveling with my daughter, there was a couple when we were going through the line to exit one country to go to a next and we're showing our passports, there's a couple off to our left that has everything they own out of their suitcases laid out all over the airport floor. And they're shaking out pants, 
shaking out shirts. Guess what they're looking for? Their passports. They're not there. And the reality of it is they had no way to prove their citizenship. And you could see the absolute horror on this couple's face. And having been married long enough, I also knew that look of that was your job. No, that was your job, and no one knows where it is. But the understanding here is, in our world, citizenship is huge. But in the Roman world, it's everything. If you're a Roman citizen, you've got it made. And the idea would be is that Philippi was a Roman military colony that Rome had established because there had been some battles in Greece and they had thousands of soldiers there. And the Roman leaders at that point in time decided, we don't want these soldiers coming back to overcrowded Rome. What we're going to do is begin to colonize the worlds that we capture. And so we're going to begin to develop colonies. So Philippi was a Roman colony that had been made up of Roman soldiers who had allegiance to Rome but had stayed in Philippi in order to begin to colonize part of the known world. And what you do... If you're a Roman soldier and you colonize, your entire life is about spreading the good news of Rome. That's what you do. You live the Roman ethic. You have the Roman worldview. And your goal and your passion is to see Rome expand all over the known world. So here's what happens with Paul. In the middle of that Roman citizen-driven city, and there's a lot of descendants now to the original Roman soldiers who had never, these descendants had never been to Rome, but they're Roman citizens, and they know about Rome, and they're perpetuating Rome. The Apostle Paul plants this little tiny church in the middle of that city. And that city, or that little church, is now beginning to show people a different way to do life. You see, people were excited to be a Roman citizen because of Pax Romana. 27 BC, Caesar Augustus gets up and said, I will bring peace and prosperity to the entire world. And by the time of Jesus and Paul, people began to realize it had failed. It had failed. And what they had looked to in Rome wasn't coming. And they began to know that. And so this little group of people called a church in the middle of the city of Philippi, begin to live a different way. They have, a, they have a different ethic and a different moral. They're generous. They love others. They speak about the forgiveness of God. They begin to speak about this person of Jesus. And as they begin to do this, what the Apostle Paul says to them is, you're doing great. You're doing great. And then there's our phrase. But our citizenship is in heaven. And as we begin to look at putting feet to our faith with this simple thought of citizenship in heaven, as we begin to do that, think about what it would have meant to these Roman citizens in Philippi where the Apostle Paul says, your allegiance is not to Rome, it's to Jesus. It's to him. And if you're looking to Rome to get your Pax Romana, if you're looking to Rome for your protection and to make your life perfect, if you're looking to Rome for all of that stuff, what the church is beginning to model and show about how they live and how they treat outsiders is that there's another kingdom. 
There's the kingdom of Rome, but now there's the kingdom of Jesus. And what we know, according to the text, is people begin to step into this little church and they begin to declare that their citizenship is in heaven and it's not to Rome. What I would believe is that many of us in this room have battled with our citizenship being in America and not heaven. The American dream, I promise you, cannot deliver what you think it can. It can't. It can't bring you peace. Here Paul says that the world around these citizens of heaven, their glory is their shame. Some of us sitting here this morning, we bear the scars of the shame of our life when we did what culture told us to do and it just didn't turn out the way culture said it would. Inasmuch as there's a Roman kingdom in the kingdom of Jesus during the time of the apostle Paul, there's an American kingdom. There's all types of kingdoms, but there's this kingdom known as the kingdom of God that Jesus is to come to usher in. And the good news is there's another way to do life. There's another way to do life. And it will bring you the Pax Romana that Caesar Augustus promised but couldn't deliver. There's this sense in the kingdom of God where God touches us and he fills us and he does what no one else can do because he's the only one that can give it to us through Christ. Now here's what I do know. That my citizenship is in heaven. For many of us here, that is the case. But you know what that means? It means that there are times when we will not feel at home in this world. There are times where because of where our citizenship lies, it'll be a challenge to live in this world. And it always fascinates me when you look at what some of the writers in the Newer Testament say about this, that there were those who were faithful to God who lived in this world. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses nine to 10, it speaks of Abraham, his, who is our father of faith. And it says, by faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, for he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 13, 14 says, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Now here's what I know, and here's what I believe for all of us that follow Jesus, is that as N.T. Wright puts it, the church is at present a colony of heaven the same way Rome sent colonies around the world, heaven has sent the church into this world. And the church, city church, is at present a colony of heaven with the responsibility as we prayed in the Lord's Prayer for, the, for bringing the life and the rule of heaven to bear on earth. Our values, actions, hopes, and dreams are different than those whose citizenship is elsewhere. But here's what else I know. I know that citizens who are not at home gather to love, care, and support each other. I don't know how many of these are still around today, but I remember as a child growing up in Wisconsin, there were these buildings in the town near where we lived. There was what was called the Italian American Club. 
There was the Polish American Club. There was the German American Club. And it was because these peoples who are now immigrants and their citizenship may have been elsewhere, but they're now in a foreign land. They were looking to gather together to love and to encourage each other. And that's what church is. Church is people who have their citizenship in heaven, but find themselves living in a foreign land. And we gather together because we are citizens of heaven. And we gather to love and encourage and challenge, at times rebuke and convict each other. But the call of God is this is what the church is to be. We are heaven's colony on earth to show people a different way, a better way, a way that can bring what God alone can give. That's what the church is for. Because of that as well, all of us need groups. We need to be in groups where other citizens from heaven know our name. They know our story and we know theirs. It gives us the opportunity to be women and men who walk out our faith well. And that's why as we conclude our service today, that when you exit the auditorium and you go out there, there's gonna be life group leaders that will be there to answer any questions you might have. Also on your chairs, you'll notice that we have a QR code where if you are part of city, if you're checking out city, we really are encouraging everyone to get in a context where you meet with other citizens of heaven and you do life together and you journey together. But again, as N.T. Wright says, the church is at present a colony of heaven. We are here to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. Where? On earth, in Charlottesville, as it is in heaven. We're gonna take just a moment to worship Jesus together because that's what people whose citizenship is in heaven do. But I wanna say a brief prayer before we stand to worship. God, I pray over my own life. I pray over all of our lives that our citizenships would be found in heaven. God, help us. For those who are in this sanctuary or are worshiping with us online, dear God, those who have had citizenship and allegiance elsewhere but have found disappointment, have found that promises aren't being fulfilled and there's a sense of anger or being let down. God, I pray that we would find in Jesus everything that we need that will fulfill our life and fulfill our soul and give us purpose. God, help us. And Jesus, please, touch each one of us that our citizenship would be in heaven. And we pray these things in Christ's name.